I'm still Court. And I'm Stefan. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Court, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I'm Court. I've, I've been here a few times. Um, I actually have like three things to plug. Uh, none of them are mine. Is, is, is that greedy? They're just all things I've enjoyed, and I couldn't, I couldn't choose between them. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to allow this. All right, all right. Uh, the first is Be Wolf, I think is how it's pronounced. It's the title of a book. I don't know how it's pronounced uh, by, by Zach, uh, Zach Wienersmith, who is uh, best known for the webcomic uh, Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial. Uh, it is a graphic novel adaptation of Beowulf, where all the characters are toddlers. I read it to my kids over a couple of nights, and uh, they were both just wrapped the entire time. The art is gorgeous. It's it's illustrated by this uh, French comic artist named Boulet, who I confess I'd never heard of until uh, until this. But somebody on the Topic Lord Discord described him as a national treasure, so he seems like a big deal. Uh, the the text is tonally faithful but approachable, with just enough butt jokes to keep the kids laughing. So it's it's a great book. Highly recommended. I'd also like to plug the movie Marcel with a shell with shoes on, which I watched on an airplane a couple days ago. Uh, and really charmed me. It is a stop motion movie from last year. It is based on some old shorts from like a decade ago, and it's just really charming and sweet. Uh, and the last one is a game called Mr. Saito by Laura Shigahara, who is probably best known as the composer for Plants vs. Zombies, but is also like a badass RPG maker game dev. Uh, and her previous game, Rakuen, is, is it's like the Pixar's, Pixar's up of video games. Uh, my kids are very happily on their third playthrough, and I'm just like standing over them, bawling my eyes out the whole time. Uh, and this new game is a short side story in the Rockwin universe. And I love that the, one of the FAQs for it is all about how so many fans contacted her concerned that Mr. Saito was going to utterly destroy them emotionally like Rockwin did. And, and Laura had to explain like, no, 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 this, this is just a nice, happy story. Please don't be scared by my game. Please actually go and play my game. Um, and they're all wonderful. Enjoy them all. I will. Every single one of them. Uh, and, yeah, they and, sound amazing. And Stefan, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I'm Stefan. I think this is my first time. I know this is my first time on the podcast. Um, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm in the world of animation, feature uh, feature animation and visual effects. Um, but I guess the thing I should plug is I released a game for Playdate with a buddy. If you like action puzzlers uh, called Played Upon, it's on itch. But I guess it'll probably be on the catalog by the time this comes out. I'm not really sure on the timing on either thing. But um, yeah, you can look for it there. Or I'll put the link to itch in the show notes. Can you just download a game from itch and put it on the play date you can yeah you can download from itch and throw it onto a website that um, panic makes and it'll show up on your on your play date or you can plug your oh. play date in and use their simulator to push to it but yeah. yeah no it's actually it's pretty good yeah yeah when i was um i was doing a little bit of siftio development are you familiar with siftio uh no i'm not it's it's a platform that they were trying to make happen that never really happened it consisted of uh, a number of little screens, like one and a half by one and a half inch screens that you could move around relative to each other. And they would know when they were touching each other. Um, and they would all, they also each had gyroscopes in them. I do vaguely remember oh. this. They, they were separate hardware screens that you could like reconfigure yeah. and snap together. Yeah. Okay. That, that rings a bit of a bell. And it was a super fun, like I thought it was a really well-designed platform to develop for. Like very fun to make to make games for, but the thing that really struck me about the the whole the development environment was that it seemed extremely like hacker friendly in that you could put whatever you wanted on there, and this also meant that like anything you got from the game shop it was just completely trivial to pirate. <laughs> That's a great business decision. <laughs> Turned out not to be a problem because the the, the hardware sales were like not big enough to, for there to be a piracy scene, so they dodged a bullet there, I guess. <laughs> Phew, we didn't sell enough to go out of business from piracy. Good job, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was that was too bad. But also, like, how do you sell that? But also, how do you sell something like Playdate? Like, ridiculous. Like for for how long that thing was in development, it seems impossible that they made their money back on it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very appealing object. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy playing with. Really it. beautiful. Really like fun, tactile. Also fun to develop for. Yeah, and the, it's this is maybe getting ahead of ourselves, but the the sort of if you've played around with virtual consoles, it's very familiar to poke around it as a as like a in development environment. Yeah, I, I remember browsing through the SDK docs, and first of all, going like, "Wow, this this looks pretty familiar coming from like a Pico Eight quad players place," uh, and, and also sure, yeah. marveling at some of the really weird like first class API calls you have in there, like turn on they, they look like it was like like a VHS effect is like a built in thing you can just get with, with a system call yeah i'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure it has like all of the the fancy macintosh dithering algorithms are in there yeah 
And uh, the other thing I'll say about development on Playdate is um, the C API is actually pretty good. And um, our game actually was written as a Sega Genesis game for GDC 2020, which we were, we were going to come with a milk crate and play a four-player version of this game in person. And obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> so then we kind of set it down and we're like, well, what are we going to do with this thing? And then a couple of years later, the Playdate shows up and we're like, hey, <laughs> we can do this. We'll just port our Genesis code over to Playdate and all of the performance problems magically go away too. <laughs> this is getting pretty far afield, but really you can you can write a game in, for the Genesis in C. Oh yeah, this is I think this actually was a topic I put in the bucket, but yeah, there's a there's a C API for Genesis that I can point you at and I can yeah, we have we've we've done it. I just mean it's like it's performant enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh and the crazy thing is that you can get like ca- like um cartridges that you can flash with your, you know, you can like put a card in there and have your own game on a cartridge playing yeah. on a real Genesis that is unmodified and that's pretty cool my buddy made a version of ableton that uh (laughs) like runs on this genesis and he performed it on like a you know we did like a whole theater thing with it with a real genesis like original genesis and everything it was was very cool that is a lot of fun i like that yeah i mean i know that they they, obviously they make a c compiler for that processor i'm pretty sure i've seen you know nes games developed in c that were like okay this doesn't really run very well but it is technically an nes program that's like a game you can play. I, I think the difference is that the Genesis is built on a 68K, right? And I think after, I, I'm, I'm not, I could be wrong about this, but my vague understanding is that after the Genesis lifespan was over, that chip had kind of a second life as an embedded system. Ah. And so it's like, a, there's a lot of tooling for that processor. People put, put effort into making C compilers work really well for it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so I think, I think GCC out of the box cross compiles to the, 68k for example yeah Yeah. this is this is why like if you just use the latest version of nintendo's tooling if you compile the the leaked mario 64 source code it runs faster than the uh the shipped game awesome (laughs) are we ready for some topics let's do some topics yeah court your topic is USB-C cables that only work in one orientation yeah, this is something I, I saw on one of my brief forays into social media recently. I didn't just say some dude, a uh, Zarf. I, I think I think we all know who Zarf is. Yes, if the audience doesn't know, fuck you. <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay. All right. I, I guess we can know. explain who Zarf is. I mean, I he's, see he, he's, a, he's like a semi-famous nerd. He made a bunch of text adventures. He made some text adventure like engines, like interpreters. His name is Andrew Plotkin. Yes, that guy. Huh. Went to the same college, okay. but I did not meet him. Um, anyway, uh, he 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 was uh, lamenting recently that he 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 bought a USB C extension cable that comes with a label that explains that in a whole paragraph of cryptic text, like this cable may only work if you plug it in at in one direction, and if it doesn't work, just unplug it and flip it and try again. And I hate that. I hate that this this we we, we finally solved the problem of rotational symmetry in USB cables, and and now it's like nope. Can't take that for granted anymore. Sorry. Some things only work in one so way. So apparently this was like a, an extension cable. Yeah. And the reason that I, I didn't actually understand what was happening because I didn't take the time to really read it carefully. But I think that's part of the point is that this is ridiculous that you should have to understand this. But I think the idea was that like the USB-C spec doesn't actually allow extension cables. Mm-hmm. You can still kind of make them and they kind of work and that's okay, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Right, and and now we need to be aware that this can happen. Like, yeah, I, I, he 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 does explain that like the spec is it's not like the law. Like this is not an illegal cable. It's it's a cable you can build it. It it it. <laughs> well, that that became that was a thing later though. Was that like in some countries it is against the law? Oh, is it? Well, I think it was. Um, now am I am I right here that in in some countries like for example phones must have USB-C charge ports. Yes, he, he did allude to this. Like recently, yeah, yeah the, the EU mandated that like you, yeah. you must use USB-C to charge, which is kind of a meaningless statement. Like, okay, I, I think he said like the, the, all that really guarantees is that there will never be a USB-D because they'll just call it USB-C or else it, or else it can't be used to charge phones. Well, yeah, so yeah. Now USB-C, it just means all cables forever and ever will will have this one pole shape and this one cable shape. Well, that's what that's what the C stands for. But th- what they have to do then is they need to inc- like uh, include the USB-C spec in the text of the law. Yes. And then oh, and unlock it forever. <laughs> You're right. Okay, so I I'm actually for the idea that like maybe the law should just be about Apple. Apple <laughs> can only make I'm, iPhones okay. that yes, that just, support the, the law should be Apple knock this shit off. Like yes, you, yeah, you exactly. use a goddamn common cable format. Right. 
uh, and I'm I'm for this, but it is very like okay. Well, what about when they invent a new, better cable? Everybody still has to use USB C because that's what the law says. The, the the flipping orientation thing may just be a feature or whatever of of this one weird extension cable, but like it reminded me of all the all the dumb stuff that USB C sometimes does, and how like just a few days ago, my my kid was trying to charge her her, her Chromebook. On, on a USB-C cable and it, it was working and then it wasn't. And it was the cable that was wrong, that the cable is not rated to charge laptops. It's rated for charging phones just fine. It charges the switch just fine. Can't charge the laptop. And like no 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 visual indication on in the cable anywhere that, that this is the whatever, whatever C cable that, that kind of sort of works but doesn't. And I, I hate that that's where we are. Like I, we have dozens of these things in the house. Yeah. Some of them work for something, some are for others. They all break all the time. This was never a problem. It is ridiculous. But was was the alternative better where you had like, you know, you have the crate full of specific cables and you're fishing in the crate? At least there's only one of each of them. Like I I was thinking of how many replacement USB-C cables I've had to buy in the last two or three years. And I never had to replace a serial cable because it stopped working. It did. It did. Worked forever. Maybe you know you, you trade one one pain point for another. I agree. The, the bucket of cables was no fun either. But this is its own kind of hell. There was a Douglas Adams essay, right? It was a Douglas Adams about how he was like he was basically arguing the opposite point that like he was in a nightmare where every cable was unique to every device, and so anytime you needed anything, you needed to find the unique cable that set up the pair between the things you needed. Yeah, I recently got rid of my bucket of cables. Oh, but what if you need one of them? Congratulations. <sighs> Uh, if I need one, I'll have to get another one. It was a point of pride to to accumulate the, the bucket of of not just cables but adapters to various things. I remember just, just being very proud of my collection of little little dongles to convert various audio cables to other audio cables, and yeah, it it made me very popular in school and made a lot of miracles happen. One thing that I associate with USB C that is not necessarily a virtue of the cable itself. There's lots of little electronic devices that can that take USB power. Like not chargeable devices, but just like they just, you plug them in with USB, and these devices can be powered off of like you know a phone external phone battery, which is really neat. Like if you have like a setup of like four tiny synthesizers, you can bring them all to the coffee shop and plug them all into your USB battery. Have you ever had the experience? I I, I think I did once where I I think I plugged my switch into my laptop to charge it, and what happened is the laptop began charging from the switch instead. I've heard stories about that sort of thing, and it's very good. Did you flip the cable around? Was it was that the problem? I can't, I, I can't remember. I, I I think that must have occurred to me, and that that did not solve the problem. Yeah, I don't remember. I think I just I noticed. And I was like, oh no 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 no, and and unplugged it and solved the problem elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, so what what should happen there is like like glowing arrows should appear, like moving in the direction of the charge on the cable itself, and then you could swap it by swiping on the arrows to go the other way. That sounds like a good USB-D feature. <laughs> yeah. Make it yeah. happen. I think HDMI cables, there's that, they're unidirectional. And I think in that case, they actually do put some kind of like barely legible indicator on the on the plug thing. Or at least I've encountered that before. I haven't seen that. Who makes a unidirectional cable with the same, same plug on each side? That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you get it wrong, both, both devices explode. <laughs> I was going to say that the other thing this reminds me of the like bucket of cables thing is I think the analog for prior generation is that like my uh, my father-in-law will like not throw away a piece of wood like it just goes into an ever-growing <laughs> pile of potentially useful pieces of wood and I feel like it's the same mentality with the cables like no I might need another one of these USB a micro was he a whittler. Uh, no, no, he wasn't as far as I know. Okay, so this was like just in case he decides to become a whittler. <laughs> No, it was like I need to rebuild this door, and now I've got all the framing material I oh, need. Okay, <laughs> okay, all right. A carpenter, then, yeah, yeah, carpenter. Did it ever pay off, to your knowledge? Like, did he ever have an opportunity to go into the wood pile and save the day with a cleverly squirreled away piece of wood? I mean, well, so after I raised my initial objection to him storing extra wood in our in our sub area, uh, after that point, every time it does come useful, I hear about it for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's good. You know, I usually benefit from it in some way. But but still, yes, there's also a pile of wood in our sub area. Yeah, better than keeping it in your fridge. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's how you keep it fresh. Right, yeah. I guess it would be the whole tree that you'd put in the fridge because you wouldn't <laughs> want it to decay. Is that? Do trees like being in fridges? I've never tried that. I've never tried it either. You need yeah, to build an a, experiment. Build a big enough fridge or grow a small enough tree and find out. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. 
Yeah. To find your topic is playgrounds seem to have gotten really good again in the last 10 years. Yeah, I was born in the early 80s and I have sort of a childhood memory of like there being this transition point where the old playgrounds were being replaced by new playgrounds and there were these old structures that were tall and metal and interesting and they're being replaced by these very low, like felt like an overcorrection in hindsight, right? Of like, they were afraid of the danger of these tall, rickety structures. And so then, you know, like you grow up, you you stop engaging with playgrounds for a while and now I have kids. And so once again, playgrounds are a part of my life. And um, much to my surprise that I feel like things have flipped and now it's the new playgrounds that have the more interesting features. Like here in the Bay Area, there's one that comes to mind. There's this cool like whale playground in Emeryville that's like good for little kids. And it's like got this big whale feature and they can climb inside and there's like... I should, I should write this down because I take <laughs> Winston to playgrounds in the Bay Area. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We can, we can compare notes on good playgrounds in the Bay Area. <laughs> Do you remember the name of the whale playground? Oh, uh, it's right by the the public market, uh, Emeryville. There can't be that many whale playgrounds in Emeryville. What what if you end up at the second best whale playground in Emeryville? Oh, what a disaster! It's called Christie Park. Christie um, Park. He, I, how old How old is your son? Four and a half. Okay, yeah, he 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 will probably still find it. It's not huge, but it's got this cool whale on it and these underground kind of idea things. And there's enough space to like scooter and stuff. And the best part is, you know, you can go there and then go get breakfast at the public market. Oh whatever. yeah. That I recommend. Have either of you, I don't know how old, well, I guess, Jim, you may have encountered this, but have you guys observed this pattern or? I hadn't realized that playgrounds had like a lull in them. Yeah. I, I have noticed that like some specific fixtures from my childhood are gone. Like there are no seesaws anymore. Oh yeah, that's true. I hadn't hadn't thought about that. I think the idea is that like people's like feet were getting crushed or something. As As soon as someone gets injured by one of these specific devices they remove all of them yes i think swings are now on the out really yeah can't have swings anymore or, or at what? least I, I maybe i'm wrong there i think it was swings though it was, it was something pretty core to the playground experience that that i i, I heard was being gradually phased out yeah. very aggressively huh wow well there's still swings in the places we go thankfully yeah same i i definitely do remember this the shift from like a playground is a slide and a swing set and like a little merry-go-round thing in a park to playgrounds are these giant wooden structures, you know, like castles with bridges. That you and climb on, yeah, which, which I love. I love that stuff. I haven't seen those those uh, merry-go-rounds either for, for in a while, which makes perfect sense. They were they were a safety disaster. Oh, no, they, they, they're, they're still around. Really? Yeah, those have changed now. Now they, they have this interesting triangular structure, or the ones that I've seen. Uh, there's one in there's one in a at a playground in Oakland that you know they can kind of hang on the outside or they go all the way on the inside, but like you can't just push them to like incredible speed anymore. Okay. There's some they have some kind of friction or whatever that's that's kind of seemed to be limited. Okay, that's that's probably for the best. Yeah. So I've I've just returned from uh several weeks in, in Europe uh and can report that this is a very, very like regionally variable phenomenon. Um so for example in in Italy we could not find a damn playground at all. Like full of parks, full of beautiful parks. Children don't play in Italy. They drive Vespas. Every once in a while, we would find like the dinkiest little 70s era playground I could imagine. And no, you're not wrong. Like the these playgrounds are for tiny little kids. And beyond a certain point, what we saw is like crowds of teenagers on break from school, standing in the park, just like very wholesomely throwing a ball around to each other. And it was the weirdest thing. Like, don't don't you guys all have like phones to be on and video games to play? Like, wh- why are you just standing here enjoying throwing a ball around? Like, it's it's <laughs> it's the nineteen twenties. Um, but yeah, there, there were just no playgrounds anywhere, and it drove my kids crazy. Um, and the, but uh, London, on the other hand, had some amazing playgrounds. Uh, there, there's one in Battersea Park. You know, next time you pop over to London, Battersea Park has an amazing playground. It has like three playgrounds of of varying ages and and uh, risk aversion on the ground, and then above them all, there's this massive three-layer ropes course uh that you can hop up onto and terrify your parents uh it was it was days of fun yeah love it so i've, I've definitely come to appreciate the amazing playgrounds but they are they are not everywhere i mean gosh there 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 was a really great one in, in in toronto in hyde park there's a great one in hawaii there are some amazing playgrounds and, and we find them and we, we make plans to come back with the kids so that we can just spend a day there um, yeah you, you can't count on them that's really cool for people in the Bay Area, there's a, I think it's called the San Lorenzo Community Park or the San Lorenzo Duck Pond. 
Um, there's a playground there that is right next to, in fact, a, a pond with a bunch of birds in it, usually. Uh, but that playground, I was really impressed by the design of it. It has a lot of climbing stuff, like a lot of layers and ways to get up and down the layers, like rope ladders and poles and zip lines. And there's a big stone bear in the middle that you can climb on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's recommended. All right. So one phenomenon I've noticed that I'd, 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 I'd love to get some confirmation on is like every playground we go to, no matter where it is, no matter how old it is, the little talking tubes they have that you can speak into one <laughs> and hear the other, they're all broken. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. I, we have never found a working one. And I, I know that once upon a time, they were sort of just big open tubes into the ground. You could fill them with sand and, and that was that. But but they, they, they seem more resilient now and they still just are immediately broken and don't work at all. And and we, we, we make a point of checking them, every single one, just to confirm that, yes, they're all they're all broken all the time and no one ever fixes them. How would you even fix them? Yeah. You need to get like a... You need to get a plus yeah. plumbing, a snake, or an industrial strength vacuum, or something to yeah blow it out the end. You shout really loud into it, and and the person listening gets a bunch of garbage in their ear. Yeah, my my son is excited by the idea of those, and so I just sort of pretend that they work. You know, he's excited <laughs> to yell at one side, and I go to the other. You're a good dad. And, you know, it's whatever. It's play. It's, I'm gonna lie to my kid about science. <laughs> well, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> Uh, does does he ever try to listen? Uh, no, I mean that's he hasn't got to that point yet. He's more he's broadcasting. I understand. I understand yeah. the impulse. You you want you want the world to have magic in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want to be able to talk to your dad and have him hear you. Magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the funny specific uh, playground that made me think of this was the Dennis the Menace playground <gasps> yes! uh, in Monterey. I know that one. That's an amazing playground. Oh, I don't know that one. It's a great playground. Uh, it's been around a while. And I remember from visiting when I was a kid and um, I like kind of steeled myself like, oh, it's probably different. And then we got because what I remember about it when I was a kid is it had like this giant train that you could climb all over, which is like a locomotive or something. And it's been replaced by features that are like kind of like what what Jim was describing with the San Lorenzo duck pond these interesting towers you can climb on and bridges and oh this looks great all kinds of other interesting features and i was like this is this is definitely better they have the locomotive but you can no longer get on top of it it's like cordoned off on the side which is actually fine like you can look at it it's still enormous I, I I can't remember. Is is that one somehow involved with the creator of Dennis the Menace? Because it is the, the Dennis the Menace license probably is not as powerful as it used to be. <laughs> no, he he lived in Carmel or Monterey or something, and um, yeah, that we 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 googled that, and uh, yeah, it's just a whole dark sounding story. I don't know, whatever. We don't need to go into it, but like he yeah, he definitely funded the creation of that playground. I don't know. It's a nice playground. It's, it's great. a very nice playground. Thumbs up. It's got the rock wall. I love those rock walls. Yeah. The other one that I'll I'll put a thumbs up on um, over here in the Oakland Hills is um, Roberts Park, which is really nice uh, up on Skyline. And it's kind of this one giant interlocking area on the top with a whole other area below it, which is just kind of like neat. And then next to it is this redwood grove where they've um, gone through and they've like, I guess they periodically remove the like poison oak or whatever. So the kids can just kind of like, you know, you can let them off leash, run around, enjoy the enjoy the redwood forest. And it's, I don't know, it's really cool. You can, you know, do snack time and recommend that one. I think my takeaway here is that playgrounds in the Bay Area are amazing. <laughs> and the rest of the world needs to catch up. Yeah. Well, they're better than they used to be. Your, your observation is that playgrounds have gotten better. Is it because you moved here? Is that what happened, maybe, actually? <laughs> no, these spent most of my youth in the South Bay. Uh, and I've gone back to I've taken my kids to playgrounds that I went to and I'm like looking at these structures and uh, it's a very weird uh, like nostalgia isn't quite the right word like deja vu of being on the other side of a memory of like oh now I'm the grown up <laughs> mm-hmm. but the structures are totally different but they're largely better than they were like I don't I, I think they're more interesting for him to play on and there's more features and yeah. it's, but it's, yeah, it's not a question of moving. They've definitely been replaced with upgraded things, at least in my case. Right. Yeah. Have you returned to playgrounds of your youth? No, never have. The playground of my youth was built uh, as, as a memorial to my, to my late father. And it was one of the sort of, it, it was one of the first round of the, uh, the, the, the big wooden castle things from the early nineties. The the dead dad playground. Yeah, yeah. So there there was there was that angle, and then uh, and at a certain point, it, it it has been condemned and torn down. 
because I guess the wood rotted uh, and enough things wh- just didn't work anymore. But you're so, dead dead. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? So, so the, the, the lesson is uh, if, when you're choosing an immortal legacy, don't pick something made of wood that kids are going to play on. <laughs> but they didn't replace it? This is... <laughs> no, I mean, I, it, it was behind the school, so they must have put something there. I, I, don't, I haven't been back recently enough to see what took its place. But when I was there, it was just a sort of fenced off death trap. <laughs> wow. It was very sad. Are we ready for another topic? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> uh, my topic is bedtime guitar update. I think I've talked on this podcast about playing guitar at bedtime for Winston. You definitely have. Okay. I'm continuing to do this. Uh, Lately, we haven't been singing songs at bedtime, so I've just kind of been noodling while we tell stories and read books. And I've gotten to the point where like, I have like procedural memory, like muscle memory for good melodies, but I can't play melodies on purpose. So like, my fingers will just do stuff and I'll be like, oh, that's pretty. And <laughs> and if I want to do something on purpose, then I have to like, okay, where is this note? I got to find it. And I've been playing everything in A because the guitar likes the key of A, especially because you can like, if I get lost, I can just play the bottom string and then A again. I could play E, A. Okay, now I'm back on track. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a good place to be. Um, so you you can see this, listeners can't, but on the wall behind me uh, is is a is a mountain dulcimer that I've been learning to play, and, oh. and I, I I I was at a similar point with that at a certain point um, where I could just sit at it and strum it, and and musical sounding things would come out. Most of them were not recognizable songs, and and like you said, a recognizable song took effort and 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 failure. But uh, what's what's neat about this is that it's basically it, it's an easy mode guitar and it only has one key so okay you don't have to try too hard to stay in tune it, it's a different key though it, it, it's d not a uh and yeah we could never play together i was wondering about that earlier today like i wonder if there's a topic here that like i would love to play this instrument with somebody and yet i'm stuck in this one key forever and i don't know how fair it is to be like hey anybody else want to play at the key of d it's like, well, it's like a penny whistle you, <laughs> right. you know you just need one for every key you want to play in i'll, I'll be like that guy from blues traveler with a bandolier of of, uh, of mountain dulcimers one in every key Yes. So I can bust out on demand. Yeah. Or you can walk around with a capo. So at least the, any guitarist you meet can play in your key. Or I can play. I, I do have a capo. I've never used it. I don't know how how far I'd have to go before I could reach a, a common uh, a common tongue. Right, right, right. But it's a fine instrument. So is the, the dulcimer is the, or what is it? The mountain dulcimer? It is dulcimer? a mountain dulcimer. Uh, okay. What makes it different from a regular dulcimer? I, I, I don't that want to- That was be my next question. I, I don't want to co-op your topic, Jim. I'll, I'll maybe save this for another time. But for, very briefly- um, it is a sort of bastardization of several different European instruments that are very similar. It, it, it has three strings traditionally. I believe that the working story is it's what happens when you are uh, you're, you're living in like the Appalachian Mountains in the 19th century and you really want to make a, a violin, but but you can't, and so you make this instead, and it, it just became very popular. It is it's totally unrelated to the like zither instrument. Oh, it has there's no relation to a regular dulcimer. I, I believe not. I had a whole spiel about this at some point. It's been a while, so I can't rattle it off. I'll, 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 I'll talk about it on another topic someday. Is it? Is it just that dulcimer means like instrument in some other language? I believe it does. I believe okay. it, it, it. It just means sweet music, and <laughs> and two different people made a machine to make sweet music. And that makes sense. They both call it the dulcimer. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I'll I'll definitely go into more depth on a future episode, but I'm not prepared for it now. Okay. It, it is a fun instrument to get to that point of. The, the, the learning curve from zero to I can make musical sounds with this without without thinking too hard about it uh, is is very short and very satisfying once you get there. So I, I appreciate where you are and it's a great place to be. Yeah. Do you want to move more towards like playing with intentionality and and playing your favorite songs? I don't know. So every once in a while, I'll be bucking around and I'll play a riff and I'll be like, oh, if this were the 90s, I could write an alt rock song around this riff. But it's not the 90s. And I don't have the free time that I had in the 90s. So like, <laughs> I generally want to get better at this instrument just because it's it's good to play an instrument. But I don't really have a goal in mind the way like I would have 10 years ago where like, I want to write and record music with this thing. Because that, you know, that that's around the tail end of when I was like really trying to make music in a serious way. So, so wait, sorry, just to, just to poke at that. So you are not like trained as a guitarist or whatever. You're just sort of picking it up and, and strumming. That's correct. Yeah. 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 I, I, okay. I'm entirely self-taught and as a teenager, I, I was, I noodled with it for, I don't know, on and off for years, but I never got anywhere really. Like I learned how to play some chords 
And that's basically it. I feel like I, I got much better, much faster when I was like playing at bedtime for my kid. <laughs> like within a couple of weeks of that, I was able to like, okay, now I can maintain a consistent strumming pattern while singing, which was like unthinkable. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, what, that is awesome though. What is your learning process now? Are, are you, are you, did you have like a, a, a set of chords that you know, and you're just kind of bouncing between them? Are you, are you trying to stretch and learn new chords or well, right now I'm noodling. That's what I'm doing. Back at the beginning, I had a, some chords that I already knew. And for the most part, like the songs that we were singing, you could play them with the chords I already knew. I would just transpose them into a key I could play in. So like, what, what chords did I know? that It was like A, C, D, E, E minor, A minor, G. I, I think I skipped yep. some there. Those are the good ones. And that's enough to play like, what, what do you have there? You've got, you've got the, if you play in G, you've got the one, the four, the five, uh, the, the minor six, the minor two, the five of five, like that's all the good chords. <laughs> like you can play a shit ton of music, especially children's music with those chords. I feel like we must've talked about this on the show before, because when else do we talk? But, but I, I feel like I must've asked at that point, like, since you're playing this at bedtime and you're just noodling while, while stories are being told, like, have, have you tried like underscoring the story? Oh yes. We did have this discussion. Okay. 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 It doesn't, <laughs> we, we don't need to have it again. <laughs> if you don't want to repeat yourself. What I said then was no, because I wasn't good enough. Now I am, eh, I, I can do it sometimes. All right. All right. Yeah. You can bring in a stinger at a moment of tension. Uh, the, the the real the at this point, like the real barrier to that is that like that requires me to split my focus on I need to pay more attention to the story being told. <laughs> right. To go to the guitar thing, like one thing that I feel like I've because I'm kind of in a similar boat, although I'm even I don't have any guitar coming into it, but we got like a ukulele or whatever. And so I just kind of poke at it occasionally when the kids are playing. And I've noticed that the what little musical training I did was on like woodwinds in school. So it's like all single note instruments. And um, what little music theory I got was on piano. And so when I sit down and like poke at a keyboard, I feel like I'm immediately conf confronted with like some knowledge of what a chord is and like how to build one. Yeah. But then 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 flipped into like, I don't know what chords to play. But with the guitar having those four or in the ukulele's case, four strings, like I just find it's kind of fun to, to strum and and kind of find fing finger positions that change, you know, that, that create chords I can recognize, although I don't know, actually, like, I'm not bothering to figure out what chord it is just intuitively, oh, yeah. this is a minor, whatever, seventh, and then, you know, kind of like, feel a song out just by kind of like, oh, okay, that was a seventh, and I can kind of like, you know, figure something out from there, but not actually with any intentional or like, I don't know, it's just a different feeling of just, I kind of know what you mean about like, you're exploring the space. Yeah, you're you're playing the music that the instrument wants you to play. It's like guiding you towards certain shapes because those are the shapes that feel good to play, like physically feel good to play on that instrument. And it's yeah. it's very different from like a piano is like one of the most in in those respects it's like one of the most flat instruments in that it doesn't really guide you to shapes. It just like here's all the all the notes. Just push yeah. the right ones at the right time. You know which ones to poke at. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> also, that is something I do love about the 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 mountain dulcimer is because it, because it all is in one key. Like you can be playing a chord and like you can just put your finger somewhere else, and it it's guaranteed to be fine because all the notes are in key. Like it's not just some random dissonant notes, and maybe with luck you'll get a jazz chord. It's, it's usually like oh that yeah. that's a nice inversion of this chord, or that's a nice little bit of color coloration in this chord. So it's very satisfying in that respect. It's the virtual console of musical instruments. Right, right. <laughs> it's like a piano with only the black keys. Yeah. Does Winston show any interest in uh, accompanying you or joining you or in this music, or is it is this purely for you? No, he's he's surprisingly unmusical in many respects. Like I shouldn't say that. He'll sing to himself. He's not very good at it. Um, Dude's four. Come on, <laughs> give him a break. Jim. Listen, listen. When I was four, <laughs> I was really. I was a cherub. He doesn't seem to get the idea of singing together. Like if he's singing and I try singing along with him, he'll ask me to stop. Interesting. Is he in like a daycare kind of situation? Because I feel like that's that's where it's come from my son as they do a little bit of singing there. And he's kind of learned like, oh, singing in a group is a thing. I should ask about that. Like, why aren't you teaching my son how to sing that's in right. a group? We cannot allow a choir singing gap. <laughs> Harmonies now. <laughs> There's plenty of time. He'll get to it. Get him a fake book. That's that's good for four year olds, right? That's that's right. Yeah. He sings with me sometimes. Oh, that's very sweet. Oh. Wow. I see how it is. 
<laughs> Apparently, it's just me. Uh oh, Daddy, you're flat. <laughs> Maybe he needs to get you the fake book. <laughs> wait, wait, are you singing Mixolydian, Daddy? <laughs> I love a good. I love a good Mixolydian. That flat seventh. It's a classic note. That's, my musical training recognizes that, that that is in fact a kind of chord, but I couldn't tell you anything further about it. <laughs> yes, I I know that that's a thing. It is it is a kind of mode. Mode, it's, yeah, it's, that's it's, right. It's, it's like not not the major scale, not the minor scale. It's just a different different sequence of points between along the octave that sounds good together in a different way. And not to be confused with the Lydian either. Definitely the Lydian not. Mode. Definitely not. Totally different beast. Are we ready for another topic? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading the poem "Where the Wild Things Are" by Maurice Sendak. Is that is that how you pronounce that name? It is now. Okay. We're going to be reading this out of the book itself. The, the bedtime routine uh, has concluded, so we have this book. That's right. Yes. <clears throat> okay. And so uh, we we have our parts here. Indeed. I'm the mother and the things. Is that what's happening? I, I believe That's so. That's right. All right. I'll I'll try not to screw it up. All right. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another, his mother called him Wild Thing, and Max said, I'll eat you up. So he was sent to bed without eating anything. That very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around. And an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max, and he sailed off through the night and day and in and out of weeks, and almost over a year, to where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars, and gnashed their terrible teeth, and rolled their terrible eyes, and showed their terrible claws, till Max said, Be still! and tamed them with the magic trick of staring into all their yellow eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened, and called him the most wild thing of all, and made him the king of all wild things. And now, cried Max, let the wild rumpus start! Rumpusing happens now. Several, yeah, several pages of rumpusing. Okay, 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 okay. Pacing, pacing, pacing. Now stop! Max said, and sent the wild things off to bed without their supper. And Max, the king of all wild things, was lonely and wanted to be where someone loved him best of all. Then all around him, from far away, across the world, he smelled good things to eat. So he gave up being king of where the wild things are. But the wild things cried, Oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And Max said, No! The wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. But Max stepped into his private boat and waved goodbye and sailed back over a year and in and out of weeks and through a day and into the night of his very own room where he found his supper waiting for him. And it was still hot. All right. I think that's where the wild things are. I was too busy uh, paying attention to figure out when I should speak (laughs) to actually pay attention to the story itself. So I have no idea what just happened. (laughs) <laughs> genius will tell you yeah there's actually quite a detailed analysis on genius.com uh if, if you want to see what the internet has to say about this i, I am kind of curious but that, that's not what we're here for oh a wolf suit i bet winston would love one of those yeah it's pretty good i'm kind of surprised i don't see more wolf suits as like just general kid wear yeah the thing i noticed is there aren't very many sentences in this poem it's mostly a few very long run-on sentences <laughs> there's hardly any punctuation there's very little punctuation yeah there's also reading it is interesting like the page breaks uh come at some interesting points in the sentences but i don't know i think i think it's interesting like the way they break up the the sort of action i uh in general i think one of the things that i just like about this is it has kind of like this big adventure feel in just a few pages like he goes on this whole journey and i like that it's across weeks and like this time period I don't know it's it's got some like really neat evocative uh simple language in it. Yeah. I mean I I never saw it but they they adapted this book this story to a feature length film, didn't they? They did. Yeah. That movie it has a really good soundtrack that I that I can rec- I enjoy. Um I think Karen O may have done it, but um yeah, it's that the funny so that I saw that movie in a theater uh in like a very nice theater and um i remember that at one point halfway through one of the speakers blew up in the middle of the theater but the movie is is kind of effective the soundtrack was too good well yeah and it's one of those movies that like there's started to be like a flutter you know like it started to be kind of a flutter in the sound and at first i was like the movie is so dreamy in in at all that like i was like is this just like part of it like you know what i mean until they until they 
stopped the movie and we all milled around for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> then it was clear what happened. There was also a um Xbox 360 game adapted from the movie. <laughs> what? Wow. This is a this is a very deep well of primary source material here. I'm I'm scrubbing through the video. Here's like Max in a wolf suit fighting bees with a stick. Oh my. Xbox 360? Yeah. For 2009. I guess that Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you do you remember enough uh Stefan like where the movie went with such a limited starting point? Like where where, where does it pad out 90 he more minutes of this? Sp- spends an hour and a half fighting bees with a stick. Extended rumpus remix. I actually watched the trailer today because I was like, ah, what was that movie about? <laughs> and uh, this this game is all fighting bees. Like, it's seriously like <laughs> just. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it features prominently in the book, obviously. There's oh, this... yeah. It's just crawling. And then with them. Max said, be still to the bees. <laughs> <laughs> and then he hit them with his stick and got a power up. And then there was an ice level <laughs> and a cart racer. Maurice Sendak cart racer would be amazing. <laughs> That would be good. Is, is this is this a favorite uh, bedtime story in in the house? Uh, it is. Though it's, it's funny, like I um I had the book for some reason prior to having kids, and I don't remember why I purchased it. Maybe because I saw the movie and was like, "What was that book about?" But because of that, it wasn't with the kids' books. And so the other day, I was cleaning something up and I found it. And I was like, "Hey, this is a kids' book. I should read it to my kids." <laughs> and it's been a yeah, it's been a recent favorite of his, which is why I was thinking about it. And I do genuinely like the writing. I think it yeah, like I said, I think it's evocative and interesting. And I like the imagery of the vines growing over his walls and like the ocean and stuff. Was it is it a favorite for your families? I think my kids just. Missed it somehow. I, I certainly read it as a kid, but I don't think it made it into our rotation. We, we've um, tried reading it to Winston, but it doesn't really hold his attention. Lately, he just wants us to read about dinosaurs, like nonfiction about dinosaurs. Oh, it's dinosaur time. Yeah. yeah. So I think last time I talked about Winston here, I was talking about how he just learned to watch movies and about how he just wanted to watch Ghostbusters over yes. and over again. That rings a bell. Yeah. Uh, he's moved on now to, he just wants to watch the ending of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So he watches like from the fight with the big boss, the Wilson, Wilson Fisk through the credits. Like he, he, he wants to watch the, like the, the part where the text scrolls more than he wants to watch any of the rest of the movie. <laughs> and he, and the, the, the end credit scene with the, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what's happening in that scene. It's like, there's a Spider-Man that goes back in time and has a argument with 1967 Spider-Man. That sounds plausible. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. What is it about the credits of this film in particular that that, that I mean, draw they him? are very like the the credit scene is is they're very music video like. It has like graphics, right? Like what I'm remembering, like these like kind of like just it's like these graphic kind of tiles or titles that kind of come in and out. Yeah, that- yeah, and and like animations that go along with it that are like thematic of the movie of like the multiverse idea. Right. Um, but then there's also a whole section of the credits that really is just scrolling text. Oh, and he watches that? He watches that. He loves, like, oh. he, he says he, it's his favorite music. So, I mean, I'm not going to begrudge a kid favorite music. There's 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 no predicting what la- what they latch onto. That's true. The, uh, the first company that I worked at in the film industry, they had a tradition of, like, if you watched a screening there, you would sit through the entire credits and then... You know, he'd be ready for that. He's ready to go. Yeah. Is is it is it gauche to walk out before the credits are are, are done? In 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 the film industry, yes. And and I think yeah. it, it's certainly it is something that I see more often in in LA than I did growing up. Like it drove me crazy to sit through the credits as a, as a kid and as a young adult. And yeah. I had I had to be trained out of it when I got here. Like, no, no, you don't do that. Like you got to watch the end the post credits scene, right? Because. Well, there's that, and there's also like the second assistant sound director, maybe two rows up, and this is this is his big day to see the film he made, and you yeah, don't want yeah, to, to walk out watch other people reading his, his name. Well, you uh, you're supposed to. Well, at least at this, I don't know about in L.A. If the, what the general uh, what the general term is, but you would clap for people you knew, right? Yep. So it's yep. oh, know. that's a thing. Yeah. Oh, but only if they're there, right? Yeah, no, you know, no, just it, it's not unheard of. Just you know, sign of general support, random smattering of applause. Three minutes into the credits, like oh, okay, so, yeah. someone has a friend. That's fine. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names scrolling by. They're all real people. They they have you know well actualized lives, rich inner existences, and uh, I, I bet a lot of them are real. Probably they, they can't all be AIs yeah, yet. Now it's all Chat GPT, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but for for a, a brief window there, there was a cast of thousands. On the on the dinosaur front, have you have you gone? This is a recent discovery, which is why I'm thinking of it. But there's a building in on the Berkeley campus that just has dinosaur bones in the middle of it, like a whole T Rex skeleton. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, yeah, and there's like a pterodactyl and some like stegosaurus heads. Someone proposed this to us, and I was kind of skeptical, but we went. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. And then you can scooter around there. So I was like, oh, all right, dinosaurs. That is cool. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm still watching this. Let's play. <laughs> Max just took the feathers from one of the the bird beast and is flying around with them. Are there non? Wait, so there are non bees. Yeah, I mean, well, the, all the beasts are there. They're your friends. All right, so you said this was 2009 that the game came oh, out? I'm sorry. When I say the beasts, I mean the wild things, like the- Yes, the wild things. Okay. The, the rumpusing things. I thought you were saying bees, as in like the things that, you know, make honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, beasts, bees, and wild things. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to remember what, what game mechanics were, were de rigueur in, in 2009 that this game would have had to copy. Like, was that, was that peak GTA open I world? Mean, it, it looks like it's, it looks like it's an eco clone. Cover based shooter. <laughs> it's like, it looks like it's trying to be eco. Okay. Uh, to it's the point where like war. now there are enemies that are like trying to like shadow spiders that you're whacking with a stick. Oh, okay. That does sound familiar. That's oh, cool. Oh, and in one of the, the, the rumpusing, what, what do you call the wild things is, is being pulled into the, the shadow hole that you have, so you have to help it out. Yeah. Okay. I think we yeah. know where that came from. Oh, there, there's worse, worse inspirations can, out there. I yeah. can certainly think of a worse thing, worse games to clone when you're making a, a Wild Things adaptation. Uh, are, we, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Stefan, your topic is classic hardware has become a kind of virtual console. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you know, virtual consoles are cool. They're like these fake computers, like Pico 8, that have their like fake constraints. The terminology that we use here on the show is fantasy console. Fantasy. Thank you. That's better. And that's really that's really great for like hobby projects and just for learning and, and even just for like, if you know what you're doing, it's like a really fun box to fit in. And I just wanted to kind of put out there that like the classic video game systems have kind of like ended up in that direction because people have made pretty friendly APIs for working with them. Hmm. Not quite Lua friendly, but like, you know, a, a, a real C API for making a Genesis game is pretty cool. Yeah. Or a Super Nintendo game. Um Although I would I would suggest that the Genesis is a bit of an easier platform to develop for than the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, because it's just a more straightforward system compared to the Super Nintendo, which had like a separate audio computer thing right. that you had to program. I mean, I, I always thought the the selling point of the virtual consoles was like you get that aesthetic and you get that general the, the scale of a machine you can keep in your head, but without the inevitable real world nonsense that dealing with real hardware you had to deal with like you know pico 8 doesn't have 120 something different cartridge mappers you have to worry about uh, <laughs> for, for 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 memory maps right so. and also pico 8 has like four megabytes of memory instead of you know four kilobytes yeah, yeah. true 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 yeah but um you know the, it's just kind of neat that you can like that this possible to make these things and you can get like i said you can get a cartridge that you can flash things on there's a thing that the game boy uh there's a thing that lets you make game boy games Fairly straightforward. Game Boy Studio, GB Studio. Yeah. O OG Game Boy games? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, like things like the Analog Pocket actually support that. Um, and there's also one for NES that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But being able, I think the upside of this is that being able to play it on physical hardware, that is really cool. And it's quite a treat to use an actual Nintendo or Genesis or whatever controller to, to play your game. Yeah. Um, just kind of like a missing part of the Pico 8 uh, or, or, you know, Pico 8 experience to me anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the having the dedicated device is really neat. One of the things that I think is really interesting about consoles like the NES is that they're one of the most like resilient game platforms just in terms of like game preservation to the point where like if right. you want to make a game that's going to be playable a thousand years from now, I don't think you can do better than making an NES game. Like I think that's that's the platform that is I think I would posit is like the most likely to, to survive to have like working emulators in a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and um, so I just posted in our chat, but there's <laughs> I just saw an article today that someone has taken a NES cartridge and put a Wi-Fi adapter into it. <laughs> so you can like, I mean, there's some pretty wild stuff you can do with actual hardware if you're if you have that 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 level of, uh, you know, ability, I guess. I, I guess that the advantage is the cartridges, they're 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 enormous. 
And I'm sure yeah. you can cram the actual game logic into a, a thumbnail and then, then what the hell else do you do? Yeah. And that's not even getting into there's like, you know, there's the there's the homebrew scene, which is his kind of own thing. But like there's tools for building Mario games, basically, like yeah. built out of Super Mario World that are pretty amazing. Like level editors and, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. The Mario World modding scene is apparently very robust. The modding tool set. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely interested in this. Like I haven't done anything in C in a long time, uh, but I, I bet it. I bet I would wouldn't be too hard to come back to it. Like C is a very simple language. Like as opposed to, for example, like if if I were to try to make a game in C plus plus, I'd basically be relearning the language because of how much it's changed in the past twenty years. The problem is like the the NES is the system that I have the nostalgia for, and the Genesis is just like eh, it's just a computer that I didn't really have or care about. Same. Right. And and so it doesn't have that extra oomph to it like developing for it doesn't have that like the feel good the fuzzy feel good yeah yeah so i posted nest maker in the chat and this is this is what i was trying to this is what i was trying to think of and this is like a it's like a ide or something for making nest games there's some pretty cool homebrew nest games out there too that are worth a look but yeah i mean there's these kinds of tools like if you have nostalgia for one of these or an interest like the the tools have never been better than they are now in terms of doing this stuff. I mean, this like has to be bonkers to somebody who is actually developing Nest games that you can have like a integrated sprite editor GUI thing that just writes these out. In your opinions, do you think this scene will continue to develop or will it die with the people who are nostalgic for this sort of thing and be replaced by I don't know. You know the Wii the, the the homebrew Wii scene. Yeah, it it feels like the um like there there's some kind of escape velocity for these things that like Maybe one or two will hit some kind of critical mass. Like the, I think the GB Studio scene is pretty robust. Uh, yeah, this this one is like even more streamlined. I think I'm looking at NES Maker, and it's and I'm having a hard time determining. Like, do you write code when you use this? So G, I think with I don't know about NES Maker, but GB Studio I think is like it kind of has like an RPG Maker style thing in there, but I think you can write code, but you don't have to, is my understanding. Okay, like you know it's got noodles and stuff, Node Graph Editor, but um, yeah, it says drag and drop game creator, but uh, with no programming knowledge required, visual scripting. Interesting. Okay. And then, yeah, you can build ROM. So things like the analog pocket make it pretty accessible to play these games. But um, yeah, in terms of whether they're going to survive. So my suspicion is that like there are going to be a few of these things like the GB Studio and and, I don't know, maybe NES Maker or something else that that have enough of a community around them that they persist. But the accessibility of Pico 8 is going to, I think, always kind of be bigger. I don't know. It's hard to say. It is really cool to have this old hardware. And at some point, if it becomes really easy to make new hardware, and there are like, you know, Raspberry Pis, like the Pi Boy DMG or whatever, that are kind of like these emulator things that look like Game Boys, right? And uh, so maybe you can put those two things together. I don't know. Yeah. It's a good question. I did very briefly do some uh, homebrew GBA development uh, back in the early 2000s at a time when it was not unheard of to actually have a, a GBA in your pocket because uh, it was still a relatively recent console. And being able to take a dinky little demo and flash it to a cartridge and give it to somebody and they can put it into their machine and it works. That 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 was really magical. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like putting holding in your hand the physical like manifestation of the thing you're making is very satisfying. And then being able to put that into a slot and have it turn on is very cool. Yeah, yeah. So I made... This was a long time ago, back when this still would have been funny. A GBA ROM that was just a Rickroll. It was just like it would show you a picture of Rick Astley and pl- and, and play the play the song. And I named it Castlevania Passacaglia of Disrepair. Um, and I was like, okay, what do I do with this prank now? And I did, I just I just <laughs> forgot about it for years. And eventually, I repurposed it to be part of the Frog Fractions Two ARG. Just as like here's awesome. a here's a thing to find and enjoy. And one of the uh, developers who worked on the Justin, who worked on the Frog Fractions 2 ARG, as a Kickstarter reward for, or Patreon reward rather, for a project that he's doing, he produced physical versions of this cartridge, of this ROM. And apparently he had to fix it because it didn't work on the hardware. I I think it was just a (laughs) configuration thing as opposed to a code thing. But, But I've got one of these and I. 
have a Game Boy Advance, but the Game Boy Advance, I, I couldn't get them to work together. Like the Game Boy Advance, I think is busted. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to make a video of, of this whole thing and upload it to social media and say, I got this for Christmas. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yep. I just have to wait for someone else to give me a Game Boy Advance for Christmas. And then by then the yeah. cartridge will be broken. I saw there was, uh, I saw this, uh, I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but I saw there's this on Instagram, there are people making these amazing, like they're taking the Game Boy Advance and kind of like, it's called Hyperbeam Labs or something, was doing these beautiful shells for Game Boy Advance. It was like, and then they, they now it's like they replace the screens with nicer screens and hmm. all kinds of other weird little upgrades. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of neat, but... Yeah, so it's 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 like a Game Boy Advance, but somehow improved with modern components. GBA of Theseus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had I had a similar thing. I have like a, a childhood Atari Lynx that I had them like swap the screen out on. It's kind of satisfying. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Man, the the Lynx. I remember like going through the list of shipped games that were for the Lynx, and there were so many games there where like. It, there was like multiplayer support for like six to eight players or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like exactly the sort of thing that like the the studio the, that made it probably had a great time with this multiplayer game. We're thinking that, and we're thinking like there's nothing like this on the market. We're gonna we're gonna dominate uh, because our game is so fun with with our six player multiplayer. And then it hits the market reality of like nobody actually owns this system. Like if you own a Lynx, you don't know six people you don't know one other person who has a lynx it's so sad yeah i can confirm that feeling as a former or as a as a current lynx owner <laughs> <laughs> i bet yeah it didn't get any better 30 years later there were dozens of us Dozen. my my family moved halfway around the world shortly after i got my lynx so i was probably the only person within like literally hundreds or thousands of miles that that had one and it was right on me i, I remember some of those games too they were they, they, they the promise was very compelling yeah, this was the Genesis game that we had made. That uh, that's the picture oh, that yeah. printed a label for it and everything, and yeah, ended up porting it to a couple different places after <laughs> we couldn't play it in person. There's there's a quad play port of this. Was that? Uh... There is, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. So, but the, the Genesis was the original. It was envisioned as a as a Genesis game. Yep, it was, and we we played it, play tested it, and everything, and then you know. But yeah, the just to say, like, if you're, if you know, I don't think it's a good place to start, maybe. But if you're already into um, fantasy consoles and virtual consoles, and you want to try, uh, you want to try something kind of adjacent, check out some of these, uh, check out some of these classic hardware SDKs and systems. They're pretty cool. Yeah, and I've had a lot of fun with them. This game looks like it needs color. So, how did you make that work on the play date? Uh oh, <laughs> yeah. That was that was definitely the big challenge. We we had to come up with um. So first of all, we, we you hold the play. Do you have a play date? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we you hold it sideways for our game so that we could have bigger sprites. So that helps. And then you we just had to be really careful with how we designed the blocks and the patterns had to be really readable. Um, I still think we could probably we might yeah I don't know still maybe do a little bit better in that department. But um, that was yes. Yeah, this is a big challenge. Yeah. I'm sorry, just to clarify, does, does holding the play date actually change the sprite size if you hold it sideways or is it, just, it gives you a it's taller aspect the, ratio and... Yeah. Got it. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 Or you could just entirely redesign the, the balance of the game around a 4-3 three, three aspect ratio instead of 3-4. Yeah. The real joy of that game is that it's the, the multiplayer version of it is what's really kind of fun and juicy. And so our hope is that, you know, having a big screen and at some point play date, having like some sort of multiplayer would be really cool. But um, it has the same problems that all those Lynx games did, because how many local play date owners do you know that you could play with? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we wanted to bring the Genesis, because then you sit there at GDC and people are right there to play with. Right. Right. I am, I am inching slowly, slowly closer to my, my long dream of having a, a four-player quad-play arcade in my living room. And it'll be there for sure. So so there'll, there'll be at least one at least one place where you can play it on hardware. There you go. Yeah. Are we, uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Court, your topic is constructing a computing environment as a nested series of cages for a child to escape. Yes. Uh, so I, 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 as I said, I, I have not actually done this myself. It's just something that came up recently when... Uh, my kid was was saying she she was close to circumventing the the Windows screen time limits that we've imposed, and and my reaction was like, well then I guess we'll need to switch to something stronger. 
Uh, and it made me remember things like like the Diamond Age or Ender's Game, where like that's literally how children's computers worked, is like they were these dinky little playgrounds that you hacked your way out of, and, and that's how you learned to hack, and then you got into a bigger one, and and uh, and, 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 and to how much I learned about computers as a kid by by finding ways to sneak around the parental controls and, and to play yeah. games. And I was wondering if either of you had, had planned on something like this, or done something like this, or had, had some clever ideas for uh, how, how such a progression would work. Well, uh, I can say that when I first... Rick read this topic, I thought it meant that you were building a computer out of somehow having a nested series of cages that like the oh, child like would escape physical from. cages? No. That would be like <laughs> setting bits or something. And I was like, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> this is very strange. Oh, like, 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 like an escape room. Yeah. Um, I, I, a, co- a coworker once told me that like when, when his kids wanted a computer, he, he gave them a 10-year-old Linux laptop that was in command line mode only. And, and he showed them how to launch a couple of text mode games and was like, there you go. It's yours now. If, if you want new games... You better figure out how to go download them and and like build them from source. And if and if you want graphics, you, but you better learn like how to build and install X Windows and and then and then you level up to that point. And I, I know at some point he gave them Pico Eight and a few carts. And again, it was like if they, if they want more, better learn to like make games in Pico Eight. Um, I, Did I don't it know. work? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I I never observed this firsthand. I feel like the result of that would be like, okay, we're just gonna play games on our phone then. <laughs> yes, yes, it, it did yeah. seem very sink or swim. Um, my kids had something called a Kano PC, which was a uh, a custom Raspberry Pi environment that was that was really slick. Uh, like the shell of this thing was basically a a simple 2D RPG that you're wandering around, like the inside of the computer itself, uh, and the characters you talk to would give you quests, and the quests involved various programming games like Scratch or or like a Linux terminal command puzzle or like programmatic audio with with Sonic Pi and and and. It was amazing, and my kids 100% just bounced off all of the programming activities and would just wander around the RPG world, making up elaborate stories uh, about the NPCs. And, and that's when I learned that they're going to be artists and writers, and I've, I've made my peace with that. It was really cool, though. And, and unfortunately, like the company just sort of abandoned this product and went all in on these branded like scratch wrappers that yeah. never seemed as compelling. But that was neat. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's you, cool. You give what you, what you have to your kid, and they take what they want from it. Exactly. Yeah. I remember that reminds me, I, he- I remember hearing something about how like, are, you, know, you guys are f- assumed familiar with Lego and Playmobil. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So someone had said like, some kids like Lego and some kids like Playmobil and they're kind of, you know, mm. they sort of appear similar, but they actually are different play activities where one is more construction based and the other one is more narrative based. And that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about with. It's cool that the world could support both. That your kids were still entertained. Yeah, no, they, they, they uh, are making stories. They are very good. They, 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 they have injected these vast narratives into the most unlikely of places. Like, are you familiar with the game What the Golf? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it, yeah, it, it, it it's a very silly game. Um, there, there's no narrative there, but there is for them. Like, they have gone so deep into this extended What the Golf cinematic universe. And, oh man, and. Uh, songs they've composed and and uh characters they've invented wow. in this world and i i don't understand more than a percent of it so they know why you're golfing <laughs> I, I guess so they, they they know what the golf yeah yeah they can answer the question the title poses that's cool well I, to go back to your original question i can totally relate and i but i think that it was at least for i mean you know for for us like all computers were kind of that rough right like you had to figure it all out anyway and so it kind of had that quality like i can remember even like seemingly basic things like a early days of um us having internet at home was like aol some kind of like probably demo disc of aol and finding shareware games off that but that was a whole ordeal of like figuring out what even you know, how to find them and what to do with them. And like, I don't know, it's it's interesting to frame like, you know, learning, learning how to use a computer or engineering or something. Yeah. And crucially, like, there weren't better experiences to be had easily. Like, yeah, if you wanted to use computers, and you were excited about technology, this was your window to it. And you couldn't just like, okay, I'll like I said before, I'll just go play games on my phone and I'll email people on my phone and I don't need to learn all this shit. I wonder if that isn't still true, though, like, it, it, but in a different way, right? So, like, people are playing with Fortnite or with Minecraft or something or I've, with... Um, I've never been older than when I said the kids are going to say, I'm going to email people on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but you know these tools are like you know if you cross a roblox or whatever it is i don't know like get, you cross a threshold where you want to engage with one of these engines that means like you you want to make something with it enough that forces you to like learn it's still non-trivial to like make something you know yeah. and in the process of even using these simpler tools you're going to learn a lot about making things and iterating and it may not be the same like very gritty technical lessons that that we learned but maybe that just makes it more accessible to more people right that's more, true. more inviting yeah that's a good that's a very good point the place i do see them butting against this is at school um where there's the eternal struggle of like how to how, how to figure out how to unlock your your computer to play games at school and get around whatever restrictions the schools put in and uh i think someone someone put a, an article about that up on the discord the other day and that that, that rung very true like that, that that is a very real struggle and the fact that they will just sit and play the chrome dinosaur game if nothing else presents itself like because there, there's no way to stop that from happening you, you, you can't block that game what is that game i'm not familiar with it so if if the if chrome can't connect to the internet for some reason it drops you into uh this little endless runner game with a dinosaur and it's a very very simple game but it's always there i i heard them theor- huh. this, this is this is a neat little thing so, so i heard them theorizing recently like the chrome browser is software software is buggy when Chrome encounters a bug, you get the dinosaur game. But the dinosaur game is also software and it's presumably <laughs> not bug-free. So what if there's a failure state in the dinosaur game where you get an even simpler, like second-order game that you get to play? Yeah. And and like, w- would that game, by definition, be part of the Frog Fractions uh, franchise? <laughs> <laughs> Just by virtue of existing? Am I a Google employee without realizing it? Oh, maybe. <laughs> I think we, we maybe we all are. Oof. Yikes. I think we all got laid off. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. This may be too current events but I, I saw an article a day or two ago that they were, they're were they cutting M&Ms from the cafes as a, as a cost-cutting measure. And like that that, that has always been the, the canary in the coal mine of like when a company is in trouble when they start cutting the candy. This is this has got to be like, oh, they're, they're sending letters to stockholders about how we're cutting costs by by yeah. getting rid of the M&Ms because it, it saves you nothing and it hurts you so much morale and so much PR that when companies do it anyway it's always just a an, an amazing moment. Yeah. And that's all the time we have for topic lords. Uh Aww. court if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh you know I I'm 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 just going to join the group of people who say I'm, I'm on the topic lord discord. I I don't look at social media anymore. Good for you. It's there, but and 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 I'm there and if you look up postgoodism, you'll find me there and you can sit and watch my empty profile, not post anything. Or you can come there and join the Discord where the cool people are. Uh, and Stefan, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, Stefan underscore GFX on social media, though, I, to be honest, I also don't check it very often. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Find me somewhere in the in the real world at a playground. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. At any number of the amazing playgrounds that we've mentioned on this, on this episode. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. All right. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was awesome. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!